Welcome back to In the Fight, Section 247 presentation. We are a Sports Talk Philly partner presented always by Michael's Glass Company. I am Michael Lipinski. I am joined once again by Brett Halpern. And Brett, huge news in the world of boxing. Iron Mike Tyson coming out of retirement. Roy Jones Jr., Mike Tyson, exhibition bout scheduled for September 12th. I'm actually saying that. I can't believe this. Uh, a little bit crazy, if you ask me. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Rocky Balboa against Mason the Line Dixon. But uh, except this one. There. there are, except at least in that one, one of the guys was in his prime. This one, they're both really old and over the hill. And that's why it's an exhibition, because there's no way this would ever be a licensed match. Um I think this is a lose-lose. I, I love both fighters, both boxers, but it, look, if they're going to try to kill each other, one of these guys is going to get seriously hurt. I don't want to see a 54 or 51-year-old guy get hurt. And if they don't, it's going to be really boring. So it's either boring or someone's getting really hurt, and it's not a kind of violence that I enjoy seeing. I don't understand. I mean, I know the genesis of where this kind of whole thing came from, the pictures of Tyson training and how he's in shape, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand. I, I, it's going to be pay-per-view, obviously. It's going to draw probably a million and a half, two million buys. Yeah. And, I mean, no, I, it's not going to do that. You don't think so? You don't think Tyson no. has that kind of drawing power anymore? Not for this. If If he got licensed and got an actual – opponent maybe it would do a couple hundred thousand i don't see this doing a million buys now the price point is probably that's another part of the consideration here you if this if the price of this pay-per-view is equivalent to a major boxing pay-per-view or a ufc pay-per-view you know 64.99 no way this thing needs to be in the 39.99 range who uh, who's promoting it? I've that's a good question. I don't know. At first, I thought it was going to be well. It's obviously not the zone because it's going to be on pay per view as opposed to the streaming service. And the reason I thought that is because of the ridiculous as ridiculous as the main event is. The co main event is equally as ridiculous. You have Nate Robinson, the former NBA basketball player. For those that don't know, he was the short uh, guard who would always win the dunk contest against Jake Paul, the famous YouTuber, whose older brother had the two fights against some other YouTuber. This, should, this thing should be on, like, uh, I don't know, some obscure cable channel at 11 o'clock at night. I mean, this is too good for even to put on. Uh, if this isn't even on a Paramount network, a Spike TV, yeah. beyond that, this is like Destination America, uh, one of those kind of things. Uh, at this point, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, you know, the sad I, thing is when Jake Paul's brother—why am I forgetting his name? Uh, what? Because it shows you how much I don't really care about these guys. Uh, but Jake Paul's brother had the two fights against the other YouTuber. The second one I watched on the zone because I had nothing else to do. And I mean, they sold out an entire arena and I know they pulled really good ratings on the zone for viewership, which is really sad. Look, there's people I'd like to fight. Why don't we just put that on the zone? 
We could, we could. We have a connection there, don't we? Some somewhere down the line, maybe we figure that Poss- out. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh, the connection would knows actually who I'd want to fight too. Oh, uh, perfect. But- we can set that up. <laughs> this whole, this whole thing, this whole thing is beyond bizarre. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me. Short of you, you got two names, Tyson and, and Roy Jones Jr., and we have nothing else going on in theory. Uh, yeah. And that, yeah, it's, you know, what the thing that I also don't like about it, look, if they need the money, they need the money, but it, it's just going to stain the legacies of two amazing fighters and two generational talents. And that's, that's a bit of a bummer. Absolutely is. And even if they, if they have either way, it, it's just not going to look good. They can't, I don't yeah. know they can go full steam at their ages in the fifties. And if they half ass it, it looks even worse. So, yeah. hmm, I, I don't know. I just don't know what we're doing here. Uh, it's really a shame. And But, hey, it's going to sell tickets. It's, people are going to watch. That's why they're doing it, I guess. Cause, exactly. Uh, yeah. Money sells. Sticking with boxing real quick. Uh, longtime trainer Nassim Richardson passed away uh, uh, last week. He was a trainer for Bernard Executioner Hopkins. Really well-respected trainer. I didn't realize I, I or I forgot that he actually had a stroke uh, 13 years ago and continued yeah. training and uh, for and advising. And it's a real, to me, this is a hit for boxing. When I saw that, uh, I was like, oh man, that, that, that sucks. He was well-respected yeah. and, and trained a lot of fighters and it's a shame. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, he was the Mickey to uh, Bernard Hopkins one of the greatest fighters of all time. And if you think of, you know, Bernard Hopkins was, was not a brawler. And, and, and Mike, as you pointed out in our episode, when we did the, our favorite five uh, boxers of all time, he, he really was a technician. And the, yeah, a lot of that came from Nassim Richardson and, you know, Nassim Richardson, the other famous thing he was involved with, one of his other famous fighters that he trained for a little while was Sugar Shane Mosley. And he was the one who caught Antonio Margarito putting the plaster in the hand wraps. So he was the one who caught that. And I he was forgot like, all, yeah, I forgot that, was, all about that. that was a really big deal. And, you know, so he, there was that fight with Margarito. Then he also cornered and trained Mosley against Mayweather and Pacquiao. And, you know, a lot of people credit Shane Mosley as literally the only fighter to ever hurt Mayweather in a fight and give him, any kind of danger so you know look richardson was was a great uh trainer you know overcome overcame a lot in life we, you know he was incarcerated at a young age boxing brought him around and you know he's a philly guy you know north philly and so you know we always uh like to give a shout out and, and pay respect and homage to those uh you know that are from the delaware valley that, you know, we sort of grew up around. And so, you know, all accounts, he was a wonderful man. So rest in peace to Seam Richardson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, prayers to his family and every, all the fighters and people that he touched. Uh, out now on our YouTube channel. Uh, talk about a hard, hard transition there. But yeah, our, out now on our YouTube channel, links is in the bio, is our interview with Rufus Sport MMA fighter Lenny Rufati. By far one of the greatest conversations I've ever had interviews. It was a lot of fun. Lenny is, a, you said it, he's a fighter and 
he, we had a call out. Uh, he talked about wanting just to get punched in the face. Yeah. Everything you could ask for. Yeah. He, he is an up and coming fighter too. I would tell all of you to uh, YouTube his, uh, his fights are all available there. This guy likes to bang. He likes to just get on top of you. And, you know, I mean, as some of those fighters say, they're not paid by the minute or the hour. So he likes to get out of there quickly and he just likes to inflict damage. So it was fun. It was fun. You can also find that our, that show anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, put there in the fight podcast and it'll pop up. Also on Podomatic, in the fight show.podomatic.com. Follow us everywhere on social media at in the fight show. Let's move on to professional wrestling real quick. Not a lot going on, but a little bit. So we got yeah. Kyrie Sane has officially, I think it was happened a week ago, but it was taped. She has officially left World Wrestling Entertainment. She is, by all accounts, going back to Japan, whether that means actually participating in wrestling in Japan remains to be seen. She was dealing with some sort of injury, but she is no longer employed by World Wrestling Entertainment. Yeah, I, I will say, isn't it sad that we were talking about that? And the first thing I said is, what did Nia Jax do? Yeah, you did. And <laughs> I, I, I believe there was an injury related to Nia Jax. I believe that is legit. That is a shoot. Yeah. But I think this was all, all well in the offing. Yeah. That. I, I don't know that I don't know that Kyrie Sane really took to the WWE system and that this she was long for being here. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura is an example of he came he wanted to stop working the strong style yeah. in New Japan and the grueling matches and come to the United States. If he can essentially work a lesser style and surf. And he's yeah. he's entitled to that. I he did he, he was one of the better workers in the in the world. Kyrie Sane I, to me it never really took off the way that I would have expected her to. Yeah. I don't know what it I don't know what it is as a Japanese wrestling fan. I was looking forward to her work. But again, I, it comes down to the Vince McMahon thing. It's all how you push them. And she just wasn't she she was not pushed correctly. Asuka is not pushed correctly and she got a better push. Yeah, I well I would say I didn't like and Mike, you would probably know this a little better than I. The gimmick she had while in the May Young Classic. So she was the winner of the first May Young Classic and defeated Shayna Baszler in the finals. That gimmick, did she bring that over from Japan? Yeah, there's an element of all that that she brought over. She brought over. So that was her that was her shtick to begin. Yeah. And I I think it was I think in America it was viewed as a little cartoonish. And then at that point, creators like, oh, well, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, she's Japanese. Asuka's Japanese. Let's put them together. But then at that point, she's clearly the Robin to Asuka being Batman. So now you've you've sort of relegated her to being second fiddle. And she I mean, she definitely is a talented in-ring performer. She's a very talented in-ring performer. And many people believe she was the better of the three. Io Shiri yeah. being the other one, uh, being the other wrestler. The gimmick didn't work. I was not a huge fan of the gimmick, the actual physical gimmick. It was very cartoonish, but that's the wrestling she came from in Japan. Yeah. Stardom uh, was a little bit more along those lines. Remember, New Japan doesn't really, New Japan doesn't have a, a women's division. There's not that hard hitting. There is a hard hitting style, but 
where she came from was not it. This is that classic, we're going to push you as an NXT developmental performer and do one thing, and then when and then it goes away. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's really what I think happened here, right? if you ask me. Where would you rank Asuka, Kairi Sane, and Io Shirai in terms of, of simply just in-ring talent? Before the WWE run, I probably would have went Sane, Asuka. I like Asuka, Shirai, and that's interchangeable there at the back end. I, now, Asuka, Shirai, Sane, there's yeah. some mix and match there, too. These ladies have not been given the opportunity, in my opinion, yeah. to really flourish yeah. um, with their skill set, which... Again, Japanese wrestling is not – it's athleticism. It is a sport. It is not entertainment. Yeah. And maybe they would be better off in a place like All Elite Wrestling. I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps. it's uh, No, they tell their story by their athleticism and by the ability to, to perform in the ring. Right. right. And they're not always given that opportunity in the WWE – yeah, uh, specifically the main roster. Elsewhere in the in the organization, they are. I, I wish her the best of luck. I, I I know she's going back to Japan. She's going to have to go there for fourteen days in quarantine. If I were her, I'd want to get the hell out of Florida too. So I, I can't I can't blame her there. That's but, definitely an upgrade. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's going to wrestle again. There's rumors of a neck or back or some type of injury. Hopefully she can get back in the ring. It would be fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I, I just hope, uh, I, I think it's another instance of if you're not in the four horsewomen, you're not getting the push that you're going to des- deserve. That is correct. Uh, moving on with wrestling here. WWE has officially canceled their Boston experience for SummerSlam. No shit because of a global <laughs> pandemic. But that is not the big news. The big news is that Vince McMahon is hell-bent on holding a pay-per-view with people there. And he does not want people to be wearing masks. He wants people to be non-masked in the stands. He doesn't want to hold it at the Performance Center. The rumor and innuendo on the webs is that they are looking at a beach a large outdoor stadium of some sort, not a sports stadium, you know, that not not Citizens Bank Park, Giants Stadium, Yankee Stadium, a large open area, or a cruise ship. Like the Bruise Cruise. This is, this is ridiculous. This is it's clear that Vince all of the uh and for those listening, I'm I'm using air quotes when I'm saying supplements that Vince McMahon uses uh to still maintain a body of a 35 year old at the age of at the advanced age, close to 80. He, he's clearly losing it. This is not safe. This is ridiculous. You know, cut your losses, continue to have it in the performance center. You want to change it up, maybe go do it at full sale. I don't, you know, you could maybe incorporate some more things because there are stands there. Uh, but this is just, this is uh, irresponsible and stupid. We were going to have this con- we are going to have this conversation with Bob Maloney when we bring him on when he comes on with us in August about the regional MMA scene. 
having outdoor events, uh, actively social distancing. Can it be done? I don't know. It's probably not wise to do it. I, I don't. I don't even know what to make of the whole thing. Where we're going back to beach blast. That's what we're look. That's what you're looking at. That's what the, the the scenario that all of the talking heads in wrestling have said was. Remember what WCW used to do on the beach. Think of, that's what they're going to do. And maybe there's going to be a cruise ship there too, so they can have some matches on the cruise ship. I, but I, I look. I'm glad it's outside, which does slightly reduce the risk of transmission, but. It, you're going to have people gathering. People are going to be yelling. People are going to be sweating. These are the things that transmit this disease. I don't understand. Look, if you wanted to, I, I don't see a problem with if you just had WWE personnel that have been tested. You want to rent out, say, I think Orlando has a MLS team. You want to rent out a small stadium, black out the entire uh, stands. And that way you could do enhanced, um, you know, enhanced graphics, enhanced entrances. I'm okay with that if there's no fans. You cannot have fans right now. You just can't. I wish we could. We just right. can't. You want, you want to, uh, this is the scenario we talked about with AEW, where if you want to take your performance center guys, put them in the stands behind a hard camera, and develop more of a crowd like feel, do it that yeah. way as opposed to them standing there banging the hockey boards. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. I, I, it sounds like w without – they're obviously losing money at the WWE. They're a touring company. They are. That makes sense. Yeah. But this is getting insane here. The, the, yeah. the, I feel like Vince McMahon is just going to go and say, screw it, we're doing it. We're going to find a place that will allow it, and we're going to do it. There's places that'll do it too. I saw Game Changer Wrestling, which is based out of New Jersey, ran a show in Indiana. They ran it outside, and fans they had social distancing. If you you and I reside in the same house, we could go and we could sit next to each other. We'd have to wear a mask. Otherwise, they were spaced out. It's been done already, so now it's just going to happen on a larger scale. I swear to God, there is a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> Coming at me from next door. I apologize. I don't know. Apparently, they're doing uh, road work on it on it on this day. I I thought maybe you know you would arrange for a marching band to uh, you know sort of play along during the show. Jesus Lord! I will tell you what, nothing was going on until I hit the record button, and now I'm getting attacked. That's okay. You know, it's all right. Remember, they don't uh, respond to movement, so stay still. Does that mean the I can't? You could talk, just you know, you know. Let, let's move. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's discuss our August schedule. As we are now have our August schedule, it is out and it is going to be a big month for us. In the fight goes big is our theme. Week of August third, our top five big men in professional wrestling, uh, along with a couple fight with a fight night preview. The week of August tenth, I am very much excited for this week. It's going to be a double main event a wrestling program devoted to Hulk Hogan, who will be celebrating a birthday, our favorite Hulk Hogan matches, our favorite Hulk Hogan non-match moments. Also that week on a double show, Bob Maloney from My MMA News is going to join us. We are going to discuss, uh, review UFC Fight Night, a preview of UFC 252. August 17th, our top five favorite MMA heavyweights of all time. 
a couple reviews, UFC 252, Dana White's Contender Series, which I'll get to in a second here. Uh, we're going to preview SummerSlam, which may or may not be on a boat on an island in, in a in – a, I don't know. I See, I think the Fight Island thing is what spurred this as well, that, that they have something going on with another company in the UFC – and and it's pushed Vince McMahon to the edge. Yeah, probably. But either way, they don't have much luck when they go to the Middle East lately. That's true. August 25th, our favorite SummerSlam moments, not including this year. So we're looking forward to that. We're going to get this all out on the web on section-247.com, in the fight.net also as well, and our Facebook. Let's move on, Brett, to some MMA news. Dana White's Contender Series is confirmed for ESPN Plus as opposed to UFC Fight Pass. First episode is August 4th. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, like we talked about last week, uh, it's just a lot lot of fun to watch. There's some really great stories every year. There's always good prospects that come from it. It's essentially taking the place of the Ultimate Fighter. And as we sort of were debating, it looks like ESPN Plus is uh, simul- or, or taking over the, not the rights to it, but I guess uh, having it on their platform as opposed to UFC Fight Pass, which makes all the sense of the world given the lack of sports content right now. It's, it's a win-win for UFC and for ESPN. Obviously, ESPN is going to have to pay to get the rights to the product. Yeah, win for UFC, win for ESPN because now you're going to have that fight fan that was looking for content because it might not be baseball and it may or may not be hockey or or basketball. Now they have an outlet. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to who has anybody been announced for it? What what are we? The, what we yeah, they have. Uh, I think they've already announced the first two cards. Uh, as those of you that have seen Dana White's Contender Series, it's typically uh, regional fighters. Um, I mean, that's why even Lenny in his interview, which I would encourage everyone to, to check on our YouTube page, um, he talked about, look, you know, one or two wins, maybe he gets invited to the Contender Series. So, you know, we're not going to necessarily preview each card, but we're definitely going to do a you know, a review of each event. We, you know, we'll tell you about which fights we enjoyed, which fighters were signed to the company, things of that nature. The other thing they do, which I like is, so there may be some guys who lost in season one or season two, and they bring them back again for another shot because they're clearly good fighters. They just haven't gotten over the hump. I I love the idea. I, I love this whole concept. And I, we talked about it. I, I I like the fight aspect of the Ultimate Fighter, minus the reality show of it, because I think that changed. So this is cool. I'm looking forward to it. Certainly gives me something to add to my viewing uh, at two in the morning uh, during <laughs> during baby feeding time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I won't be. I'll probably watch at the same time, though. There will be no baby feeding. Some scheduled changes. Frankie Edgar, Pedro Munoz moved again. It is now the main event on the August 22nd fight night for the time being. Yeah, I, this fight has been moved now uh, three or was four it? times. Yeah, I would say this is at least four, right? Yeah, I, I honestly think we may have even spoken about this fight on our first ever episode of this podcast. It's just like a never-ending saga. Uh, so they took it 
from the UFC 252 main card. Look, it's a it's definitely a fight night main event worthy uh, fight. Uh, and I'm you know I, it's also interesting that they're it's going to be added two rounds, so you're going to have a five round fight, which I think is great. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really interesting to see how Frankie uh, adapts to the bantamweight division. Uh, for those, if you've seen him on his Instagram, I mean, he looks, he definitely looks smaller. It's amazing. And it, it's also amazing. I think this guy used to compete at 155 with guys who at fight night were weighing 175, 180 pounds. Right. We talked, we had this conversation with Lenny. He puts on 15 to 20 pounds. Yeah. He's in. I'm looking forward to it. I always, I always enjoy watching Frankie Edgar fight Jersey Boy. Yep, exactly. Khabib exactly. versus Gaethje has been set for October 24th. Yeah, final. Well, anyway, I mean, we were talking about this in the previous episode because we thought this was going to be the September event. And, I, you know, I don't know what to make of. We, we were talking about in light of, of the tragic passing of Khabib's father. Does this, I, I don't know if this is an advantage or disadvantage. We also don't know, is Khabib going to be training in Dagestan? Is he going to come over to the U.S. and train at AKA with Javier Mendez? It, it's really, there's a lot of unknowns on Khabib's side, which to me just point in the direction of a Gaethje win. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's obviously I don't know if it's being rushed. We we were expecting it sooner than than October. It's going to be an interesting scenario to see how this whole thing plays out. We're going to do a big preview on it when we get closer. You think it's going to be a Gaethje win? I, I don't know. I I think it's definitely a wild card. Now it's yeah. probably going to throw some wrenches in the plans, though. Uh, Lenny uh, Lenny mentioned it on the interview that Khabib going to thirty and zero and then retiring. He's 28-0 now. If he, yeah. gets, if he gets through Gaethje, he's got one more fight left, they assume. The rumor has been that it would be George St. Pierre. Yeah, and Dana sort of gave a little credence to it. Yeah, the other day. He, he And said he would – he said he would He would book it, um, which that would be a huge fight. Uh, it would be really interesting. Uh, you know, if you've seen George St. Pierre's Instagram recently – He's a lot smaller than he used to be, and it's because he actually wanted to go down to 155. So I'd love to see it. You know, the thing is, if Khabib was able to get past Gaethje, which I think is going to be the toughest fight of his career, to me, to become the true GOAT, I'd love to see him fight three more times. I'd love to see him then fight Ferguson. I'd love to see him rematch the retired Conor McGregor, and then I'd love to see him fight uh, St. Pierre, just because to me, the, I, those are just such huge fights. It'd be great for the M. It'd be great for the UFC, great for the sport. But look, I mean, to go to 30 and out, you're going to probably, you're going to be considered one of the goats anyways. So it, it's interesting, but he cannot look past Justin. And the fact that he's even talking about that, that's another thing that's worrying me about his performance in this fight against Gagey. Yeah, you, you can't look past him at this point, and he is definitely looking forward, and that could be a problem. It's going to be fun and interesting to watch this thing play out. Yeah. Let's get into some of the things that have occurred over the past week since we've been on with you. Uh, Bellator returned to the cage, 242 in Connecticut. 
Give me your take on it. Ricky Vendeja, Sergio Pettis was the main event. I thought overall that it was a pretty solid show. And and, and to me, I, I, I said this to you off the air. I, you were like, ah, oh, it was good. I was like, I don't know. Maybe it was just a different atmosphere versus the UFC that I really enjoyed this show. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the presentation. I enjoyed yeah. the points. Uh, maybe it's because I'm a little bit old school as far as from my, from an MMA standpoint, like Goldberg, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's definitely a different look. So it was similar in the sense of it was more of an enclosed area. But unlike the UFC, you know, Bellator is known for they, they carry the banners of each of their champions. There's just more to look at in a way for the presentation. Plus, there's a ramp, which I think as wrestling fans, we're always used to. Uh, so there's that. Um, yeah, you know, you, you get reminiscent with Goldberg, but I feel like even after the first fight with Aaron Pico, which was a very uh, impressive performance, he kind of screwed up the call with that. And to me, when we were talking, I was like, you know, listening to Goldberg, it is cool. It brings back, there's a nostalgic component to it, but it also makes me realize how good John Anik is. But, but all in all, you know, it, it was a good Bellator show. That's the way I would put it. That, yeah, it, it was definitely enjoyable. I do like their setup. I've always been a fan of the pro wrestling look, the Tron, the the walkout, that yeah. kind of thing. It's a little bit different, and it's okay to be different. Different is good. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think it, it would probably – it behooves them to be different than the UFC. Otherwise, it would be just a straight imitation, and you can't – you don't want to be the imitator. Absolutely. So. Let's move into yeah. UFC. Whitaker versus Till. Another night over early. 15 flights, card ended by 11.30. You were impressed. I was yeah. impressed. I watched it on 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 demand on DVR. But that's two in a row now. So yeah, they good. had really they had really good pacing for the event, which was nice. It was, you know, one fight. And there were a lot of, you know, there were several decisions. And even then it was just bing bang boom, commercial next fight. Uh, there wasn't a lot of preview videos. There was a few for Dana White's contender series, but they moved it along, which was nice. You have been putting out on our Instagram at in the flight show, uh, which goes to Twitter and goes to Facebook as well, are your picks before each of the cards. And you went 11 for 15 on the night, five for seven on the main card. You pick correct the main event and the co-main event. Should we start asking people, you know, should people bet on this is that one of those kind of deals you want um, to like that yeah well i don't i i definitely don't take odds into the consideration so and i don't want to be responsible for anyone losing money and i'm sure the moment we started doing that i would really get on a cold streak but uh you know look if i was uh, a baseball player right now i'd be uh leading the league well also because i'd be the only one playing <laughs> so uh at least for many teams yeah yeah uh, but yeah, and by the way, for those uh, that look for the picks, so what I do is I literally just highlight the one who I, I uh, picked to win. Uh, it's not that I'm Xing off that person, just to uh, clarify. Yeah, because someone could look at it and say, you Xed all those guys out. You were wrong. Exactly. That's why I wanted to clarify. Robert Whitaker defeated Darren Till via unanimous decision uh, at 49-48, 49-48, and 49-48 on all three cards. How did you have this thing scored? I had it scored uh, 49. Uh, you know what? I apologize. What I meant to put, it, it was actually 48, 47. 
That's what it was. It wasn't 49-48. That was a screw-up. But I had it 48-47 for Whitaker over Till. It it was razor thin. There was the fourth round. Whitaker landed more, but I thought that Till's shots had more damage. And And that was like a deciding round. So if you give that round to Till, then he wins the fight. So it was it, it was razor thin. It was a you know really interesting fight. Uh, you know, not like a Poirier Hooker where you could say it was a fight of the year, but it, there was a lot of there was a lot of tension, and it was a very tactical fight where you know both guys were trying to figure each other's timing out. There was actually knockdowns in the first two rounds. Till knocked down Whitaker in the first. Whitaker knocked Till down in the second. Um, it, it was a very interesting fight. I thought, I thought Till made a very, uh, had a very good performance and showed that he is definitely among the elites of the middleweight division. What's next for both of these guys? It, it's tough because I think, uh, Whitaker, obviously Whitaker won. I don't think he deserves a title shot yet. Um, we mentioned this on the last episode, our last MMA episode, which is that I would put the winner, I would put Whitaker against the winner of this week's main event between Shabazian and Brunson, and I would have Till fight the loser of the main event for this week. Good old-fashioned tournament. Speaking of tournaments, uh, Pride used to do a lot of tournaments. Maybe yeah. we get into that a little bit later in the main event. But Mauricio Shogunhua defeated Little Nog via split decision. Uh, did you agree with the scoring here? No. 29, I 28, 28, 29, 29, 28. Yeah, you know, I would have um, given it to Little Nog. It, it was – I didn't agree with it, but I could see how someone uh, had scored it that way. I, I personally scored it for Little Nog. I thought Little Nog's punches, uh, though, like – just like Shogun's were all labored. Uh, he landed some very strong uh, straight lefts, and I, I thought he inflicted more damage. The other thing, Lil Nog always looks like he's taking damage anyways. That That's a, that's, that's a bad he, he looks beat up from the beginning of the fight. So, Were you entertained? Were you depressed? And is it time for these guys just to say, see you later? Right it, off the sunset. It's weird. I was like a little bit of both. So I, I had all the respect in the world that these guys, both north of 40, came in there. And you could, it was depressing because you saw these guys who were both elite fighters at the height of their careers who are literally no longer um, able to throw punches the same. I mean, their range of motion is so much more limited than it used to be. So it was like you marveled at the toughness. You were happy and like you were nostalgic because of how great the, their initial fight was and how great their careers were, but also just very depressed realizing now you just kind of had two older guys who were way past their prime fighting in a co-main event in the UFC. And so Little Nog retired at the end of the fight. I think Shogun... Uh, even though Shogun has only technically lost once in the past few years, I think Shogun needs to hang him up too. I don't. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, Rico Verdum defeated Alexander Gustafson via armbar, two thirty in round one. 
Was this a good win for – it's obviously a good win. Was this Verdun looking really good, or was this Gustafson not looking so hot? You know, what, what was it? I think it was more Verdun looking good. I mean, I think the thing you have to take into consideration is the fact that Verdun is, without question, the greatest heavyweight grappler of all time. And if Gustafson has one weakness, it's probably once you get him to the ground, he's either susceptible to ground and pound or submission. Verdun was able to get him on the ground, and then afterwards he uh, he quickly maneuvered to get the arm bar. And he won. So where does that put Fabricio Verdum? Where does that put him in, in, in line for shot, a shot, and whatnot? Well, it's interesting. He actually, this was the last fight of his deal, and he actually acknowledged that at um, during the post-fight press conference that he is not going to re-sign with the UFC, and instead he is uh, looking to fight elsewhere. Uh, you know, I think there's some interesting matchups for him in Bellator. There's probably some interesting matchups for him uh, in one FC. He could fight Brandon Vera. Uh, so I, I, he's, he's, he's past his prime to the point where I don't think he'd ever make a serious run uh, at the UFC heavyweight championship. So to him, he's more valuable to a Bellator or to a one FC. This is what happens when you fast forward through interviews and you don't read the news. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think the more got a lot going on. So yeah, yeah. obviously, it's. Uh, I think the more interesting question is, you know, what does Gustafson do? Does right. he? Yeah, you know, does he stay at heavyweight? Does he go back to light heavyweight? Does he? Re- Got to remember, he actually came out of retirement to go up to heavyweight. You know, a lot of people were complaining about the fact that. You know, he weighed in at 240 or 245, and a lot of people thought he would show up to this fight at 225. I, I don't I don't want to say he looked he didn't look out of shape, but he also could have looked a little better. Um I if I were him, I would give it one more shot. I mean, to me, I don't think this was a great matchup for him. And it, it's just I, I would like to see him against maybe a, a striker, see how he does there. Um you know, if his power does, we don't know if his power in, improves or translates to the heavyweight division. Once we find that out, I think you have a better understanding whether Gustafson is viable in the heavyweight division. Let's talk the rest of the card here. The main card. Anything stand out to you on the main card that was newsworthy? Well, there was a uh, a women's strawweight fight between Carla Esparza and Marina Rodriguez. It was a very competitive fight. Carla Esparza eked out a split decision. I think this is like in her last she's she's won five fights in a row. This I think is like three of them were split decision wins. So in the very competitive close fights, you know, there could be an argument made that she does that she might get the next shot at. Um, Zhang Wiley, the champion, and simply because of availability. If you look down the line, uh, Rose, who just fought Jessica Andrade, uh, she got her nose busted up. We posted the picture at In the Fight Show on social media. And in addition to that, you have Tatiana Suarez has a neck injury. You have Nina Ansaroff is uh, eight months pregnant, so that's a no-go. Um, yeah, then you have Joanna uh, Yanjatrik. 
the former champ. They they recently fought, and it was one of the best fights I've ever seen. The thing is, Joanna's had, I, I mean, four or five title fights now where she's lost. She's sort of turning into the female version of Uriah Faber. Do you want to just continue to give her shot after shot after shot that she deserved that? Uh, you, you need to continue moving the division along. I think a fight between uh, Zhang Wiley and, and Carla Sparza, I think Wiley would make quick work of her. And it would, and Wiley supposedly wants to keep busy. So if that's the fight to make, I, you know, it's, it's not a terrible fight. I, Carla Sparza deserves it. She's fought a bunch of ranked fighters and she's won five in a row. So that gets you a title shot. I mean, not every title shot is supposed to be the, the fight of the century. Sometimes, I mean, you know, when Tyson was the champ, sometimes some guy would earn a shot and then he'd kick the crap out of him. And then you move on to the next guy. So I think that's sort of what you have here. So that was, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was an interesting fight and had obviously important ramifications in the strawweight division. Kazmat Shemev working on it. Sets the record for the quickest turnaround in UFC fights. Fought on the Dan Ige uh, Calvin Cater card. So we're back in what? 10 days. Yeah. Should he fight at welterweight or middleweight? So the first fight he had was a middleweight, and the second fight he had was a welterweight. I think he should fight a welterweight. The guy literally, I mean, right away went, and, and he fought another highly touted prospect in Reese McKee, who is, um, I believe he's Irish. He might be Scottish. Um, for for Irishmen and, and Scots, I apologize if I confused uh, his nationality. Nevertheless, uh Chimaev looked unbelievably impressive, and I would go with Walter Waite. Um, he, he's, he's unbelievable. You know, they're even thinking about booking him for UFC 252, which is in two weeks, two and a half weeks. Why not at this point? He should just fight every week. What's the difference? Yeah. Do you think he can defeat a top 10 guy? Yes, absolutely. Now, I wouldn't book him against the top 10 guy yet. You got to do the slow build a little bit. Um, I would try to find a named guy just outside the top uh, top 15, top 10, and then probably after that fight, I would give him someone in the top 10. But I have a feeling pretty soon he's going to have a hard time finding guys that want to fight him because he is that good. Two minutes or less, tell me undercard in the prelims who impressed you and let's talk about the dan hardy herb dean incident yeah so chaos real uh, it was ridiculous so real quick who impressed me tom aspinall heavyweight had a quick ko over jake collier featherweight uh mavsar evlaev uh had a unanimous decision win over mike grundy both very impressive uh dan hart so in the featured prelim bout uh francisco trinaldo defeat knocked out uh i forget the guy's uh first name last name's herbert he's a british fighter and you everyone could see on the way down herbert was like holding his he had his hand next up to his chin because he literally got frozen from the the punch and as he fell down trinaldo is standing over him with his hand about ready to punch him waiting for Herb Dean to stop the fight. And um, 
what's it? Dan Hardy and Paul Felder are screaming, stop the fight, stop the fight. And Herb Dean would not do it. And Hardy went nuts. And even they, they had to cut his mic because he started screaming at Herb Dean. Uh, so it was really an unfortunate uh, chain of events because the guy ended up taking a few shots that were unnecessary. Uh, the only other noteworthy thing I think in the undercard was um, good old Betch Cohea, uh, who was once a title contender against Ronda Rousey. Uh, in the towards the end of the first round, you you know how at the end of the round there's the uh, they do the claps, which notes that there's like ten seconds left in the round. They did the claps, and she suddenly goes to, like, extend her hand to her opponent, and the opponent's like, no, there's 10 seconds left, and she starts cracking on her, almost knocked her out. So, oh, she almost lost due to idiocy. She ended up losing anyways. Would they have, would they have been able to put that in there, lost due to idiot? No, it, it would have been nice, though. There's, there's been a few. I mean, uh, you know, some guys have knocked themselves out. Uh, but they don't do like self knockout. Let's move on. Let's preview the main. Let's preview Brunson versus Shabazian. Main event: Derek Brunson, Emmons Shabazian, three round fight. What? What are we looking at here? Is Brunson? Which Brunson has a better chance to win this? The brawler or the tactician? You know, it's interesting because. I think the Derek Brunson, the brawler, is a better fighter than Derek Brunson, the tactician. But in terms of the areas of Shabazian's game that we haven't seen, we haven't really seen his ground game to a, uh, a great extent. And Brunson is his initial martial art is wrestling. So you would think that the tactician might have a better chance of winning because he might that might be where he has a uh, distinct advantage. Because Shabazian has such great hands and, and striking, great kicks as well. So I think even though Brunson, the brawler, is the better of the two Brunsons, so to speak, I, I think he actually needs to come out more measured and implement a full arsenal of weapons, which would include the grappling. Do you want to give a prediction now, or should we wait for your Instagram Getting attacked. Well, you know yeah. what? Yeah, it's okay. You know, well, you're moving too much, and the Tyrannosaurus Rex can see you. It's it's straight science there, buddy. You know, I mean, it's wear a mask and no movement in front of T-Rexes. <laughs> but anyways, um, you know what? I, I'm the, I'm such a believer in Edmund Shabazian. I am predicting a win. I'm predicting a stoppage in the first or second round against Derek Brunson. And that will also be my prediction come Saturday. You can check those out on our Instagram at In the Fight Show. You're very, you're getting you're getting really really good with that. I think that's like seventeen. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting so good. I'm not even you know acknowledging one at a time because I'm, I'm that confident. I'm in a flow state right now. There you go. Just flow with the go. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the co-main event, Joanne Calderwood versus Jennifer Maya. Who has the edge here and why? Does the winner get a title shot? Well, first, you know, let's just see if Jennifer Maya can uh, make weight. So her last two fights, she hasn't even made weight. Um, but having said that, 
I think uh, JoJo Calderwood has the uh, has the advantage. She is by far the more aggressive striker, and when you take the fight to Jennifer Maya, she she has problems. That's how she lost to Caitlin Chukagian and others. And I think I don't. I was amazed that Joanne Calderwood took this fight because uh, this is a bit of a short notice fight. I thought she was next in line. Um, for Valentina Shevchenko. So if she wins, I think she's definitely next in line for the belt or for a title shot. What else are you looking? What else are you looking forward to seeing on this card? Uh, I definitely am looking forward to the prelim feature match, the bantamweight uh, fight between Frankie Science and Jonathan Martinez. Both very well-rounded guys that like to scrap. That's It's a good card overall, but that should be a really good fight. So I'm looking forward to that. It is now time for the main event of the week, the evening Remember, follow us on social media at In The Fight Show. We are discussing our favorite defunct MMA promotions. I think we know, at least for me, where we're going to go with number one. But we're going to kick it off with you. No fan participation this week. Again, this is just you and I having a conversation. What do you got at number five? Number five, I'm going with K1 Heroes, uh, which was, it started in 2005. Uh, started by the FEG group that had K1 was already in existence and it was uh, one of the premier kickboxing organizations in the world. And this was essentially their, the MMA arm of it. Um, and they, this put on some of the uh, biggest events in Japanese MMA history. Uh, you know, they had Hoist Gracie fought in this. It was also the, the, the place where one of the, uh, a guy who was probably in my top 10 for favorite MMA fighters. And when we get into top uh, light, lighter weight fighters, we'll talk about, um, we're going to mention him as uh, Norifumi Kid Yamamoto. This is the organization that uh, he was sort of the main guy of. And also this is where um, Yoshihiro Akiyama sort of first hit the scene, uh, who was, uh, you know, a star both in Korea and Japan. And uh, it was just really great fights. Kazushi Sakuraba actually had, towards the end of his career, one of his greatest uh, fights ever in this organization. But so K1 Heroes is my uh, number five. So interesting that that's your five. My number five is Dream, which was the predecessor to K1 Heroes. K1 Heroes became, and, and the group that ran Pride, it evolved into Dream. Yeah. Uh, so now I I have K1 Heroes on my list too, and I was going to bring this up. Are they one in the same? Is it a same lineage? So are like my four and five K1 Heroes Dream interchangeable? I it's the same lineage, but there was a break in the action. Right. Okay. So so my five is Dream. Yeah. Uh, Dream again, a huge Japanese mixed martial arts fan. Dream was uh, was one of the organizations that came after the fall of pride uh very very much similar to pride all the fighters you just mentioned kind of rolled through there and yep. it was 
a continuation of what I thoroughly enjoy. Dream is my five. What's your nice. four? My number four is Rumble on the Rock. Uh, the MMA promotion that started uh, out of Hawaii. Believe it or not, it actually was formed by FEG, the same company that formed K1 Heroes and Dream. So these guys, you know, they may not be in business anymore, but to their credit, they started some amazing promotions. Rumble on the Rock was interesting because it had a local flair to it, but they also had some of the greatest fighters in the world and at the peak of their career. So when BJ Penn left the UFC at one point after he won the welterweight title, he then fought a young Takanori Gomi at Rumble in the Rock. He then went up in weight to fight Rodrigo or Hadhigo Gracie. Uh, the great thing, if you purchase that DVD, uh, a warning to you, during the main event, there is a melee in the crowd. And for reasons beyond my comprehension, the camera guy goes to the melee as opposed to staying on the BJ Penn Gracie fight. Uh, but this was actually also where Anderson Silva until Chris Weidman, the, the Chris Weidman loss experienced his last loss. They had a middle, excuse me, it was a welterweight Grand Prix. And this is where he lost via disqualification to Yushino Kami. But that Grand Prix had the two of them, Jake Shields. You had amazing fighters, Gilbert Melendez, so many, and this is also the uh, you had also great uh, Hawaiian fighters like Ronald Jun, uh, Wesley Cabbage Carrera, uh, so many great fighters. So Rumble on the Rocks, my number four. I am kicking myself for forgetting all about Rumble on the Rock. Yeah. When I was going through my list, I can't believe I forgot. About it. I have a DVD sitting there. Yeah, I, you know the, the 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 sets. I can't believe I forgot about that. You you, you are so correct. It was a tremendous promotion. Really well done. Really yep. well done. What's the name of that? What's the name of that arena in Honolulu? Uh, Blaze Blazedale Arena. Blazedale Arena, famous arena for boxing, definitely for wrestling on the island. Yeah, uh, tremendous, tremendous promotion there. And damn, I can't believe I didn't put it on my list. I'm really, I'm angry about it. Uh, my my number four was going to be K1 Heroes, but I have to. To me, it is so close to dream that I'm yeah. not now I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to, I'm going to segue in here with international fight league. I really, really loved this concept when it first started, not necessarily the goofy team names, you know, as a Sacramento stingers or bees or whatever, and all that. Yeah. Goofy stuff. But I like the idea of fight camps and it evolved to that at some point uh, before it just went defunct after three seasons, it was taking actual fighters from camps and having them fight. Amongst each other. I like the ring, the actual using of a ring in the United States versus a cage. Yeah. Plus, it was on regular television. It was on Fox Sports. The the whole concept I, I really bought bought into. I like the idea behind it. It was a little bit different. Did it work out? No, not at all. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. It Look, it, it was good while it lasted. I think, you know, their first season, they had a lot of success. Um, my, my only funny story with the IFL, I actually went with my dad to an event at the, uh, Continental Airlines arena. And this is the one and only event I ever went with my dad and he's looking around the crowd. And then he looked at me, he goes, now I know I've been Laden attacked us. So <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, I, obviously he wasn't, you know, 
completely serious and didn't believe in the fact that Al Qaeda attacked us. Nevertheless, uh, it was an interesting evening and fighters like Ben Rothwell and Roy Nelson were there and uh, yeah, they had some good fighters that ended up in the UFC. They, they absolutely did. Uh, what is your number three? My number three is the WEC. Um, so this started, uh, the organization started in 2001. Um, at that point, it was kind of, I wouldn't call it a regional promotion, but it was it was sort of viewed, it was a national promotion, but viewed as somewhat of a feeder to the UFC or even Pride or, or other organizations. But you had some great fighters in the WEC in the early incarnation of it. Uh, both Diaz has fought there, other great fighters, particularly on the West Coast. They fought mainly from the Tachi Palace Resort. Uh, but in 2006, Zufa purchased WEC. And at that point, WEC was only featuring lighter weight fighters. They actually went up all the way to light heavyweight, but it was clear. I mean, they're so they're flyweight through featherweight, those were the best in the world. And then the you know, they had a welterweight division, they had a lightweight division, welterweight, middleweight. But some of those guys were not quite as good as the guys in the UFC, but they had great fights. That's where Brian Stan first got his shot. Um, Carlos Condit was a WEC champion, but there, there were such wonderful. Uh, cards and every WEC card was entertaining. I, I love the blue mat and Frank Mir was one of the play-by-play uh, -play guys. Really enjoyed him, and it, they had the the UFC even. Um, I guess you could say sponsored a pay-per-view on their behalf. Mike, and I, I remember you and I watched it together. It was uh, Faber against Jose Aldo for the featherweight belt. Uh, and that was the night uh, of Leonard Garcia against the Korean zombie and just so many great fights. And obviously also gave you perhaps one of the most significant moments in all of MMA, the Showtime kick, uh, which was in the last ever MMA event. Uh, so actually there was the last ever fight in the last ever WEC event. So WEC, my number three. WEC is also my number three. For a lot of the reasons you just mentioned, I'm talking old school WEC, blue cage, lightweight guys flying around, knocking each other's head off. It was only owned by Zufa for how, how only a handful of shows, like three, four, five, maybe before it was, it was like fully absorbed. Yeah, like two, three years, something like that. Wasn't Not that many long, shows, I mean, right? Yeah, and WEC, it was very much a West Coast California feel to it, and yeah. it was something different it was in the it was it was quick it was fast paced it was a different product versus the not plotting and slow and slow heavyweights in the ufc and pride but it was just different again it was different it was a different thing at a, at that time where you weren't seeing a lot of it smaller cage helped too Smaller cage definitely helped, as we are seeing now with smaller cages helping. We can get in that another day. Uh, what's your yeah. number two? I have a feeling we might, we might, we might be coming right in line here for our our three, two, and one. Yeah, I'm gonna let you uh, go first on our number one. Uh, so our number, my number two uh, is Strike Force, and Strike Force started actually it was fairly. Re it was in 2006, and their first ever show set the attendance record at the time for an MMA event in North America. 
And the main event was Caesar Gracie against Frank Shamrock. So it started as a local California promotion. It was also the first ever sanctioned MMA event in California. Um, and then what they, they really started to take off after the uh, after Elite XC folded and Strikeforce purchased the assets in terms of both the library as well as the fighters. The importance of that, you had guys like Kimbo Slice G- and women like Gina Carano, uh, who loves uh, the you know Rutgers recruits, <laughs> and um, you know they, it was just really st- so that from there they really started to build. They partnered with uh, CBS and Showtime. You also had the what I loved. The, they used to have um, what's it called? It was called uh, the Strikeforce Contender Series, which would be late nights on Showtime. You'd have guys who were up. Eddie Alvarez made uh, an appearance on that once. And then at, uh, I believe it was um, in 2011, Zufa actually purchased Strikeforce and for a while kept it as a separate entity. And, you know, they had the heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, Grand Prix. Mike and I attended the first round of that. Uh, there was just so many great fighters who then also had success in the UFC. You had Nick Diaz, you had Luke Rockhold, Jacare Souza, so many great fighters. Alistair Overeem was the longtime strike force heavyweight champ. The heavyweight Grand Prix champ was Daniel Cormier. Uh, so it really was a viable uh, alternative to the UFC, at least for a while, because they had such great fighters. Uh, I mean, I remember when D- Nick Diaz left, came over and beat BJ Penn, and then he wanted to fight GSP, but didn't show up the press conferences, so they changed the event. Uh, but it, it was really just a fun time, and, and you know, it, it sucked that Strikeforce ended when it did, because it was really getting hot uh, as it's a separate promotion, but the UFC, I think, was probably worried about that and just wanted to bring everyone in under the same umbrella. Strike Force Pro Elite Elite XC is my number two as well for all the reasons you just mentioned. I I mesh them in together. I know Elite XC was different, but there is that direct lineage back to to the to Strike Force. Yeah. It was different. It was different at, at a time when things were just the UFC. It's everything you just mentioned, and I had actually forgotten that there was that little bit of a crossover of them being Zufa owned. I wish this promotion would have survived. I wish it would still be around today. Uh, I guess it is in a way with Bellator. You kind of get Scott Coker, all that kind of stuff. But it was fun. It was a fun thing. And it was the first one to be on national. Well, I guess it was technically Elite XC, right? was the first one to be on CBS. So they can't own it completely. But yeah, the Strike Force Elite XC combo is my number two. I would say, Mike, would you agree with me? The height of Strike Force was they were way bigger than Bellator is now. Yeah. Oh, by by far. I, by far, yeah. they were a much bigger, bigger fighters. There was legit competition. You could legitimately say at times that the best fighters were not, for the first time in a long time, were not in the UFC. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and that's what made it fun, and it was great. And you, we, I miss Gus Johnson. Yeah, you, you do. I don't. Um, <laughs> number one, since we, since we haven't mentioned it, it is clearly none other than Pride Fighting Championships. 
How could you not love Pride Fighting Championships when you have a man in a diaper banging on a drum to start every show? We're joking there. I under, we understand it's not really a diaper. But for me, this is for me, it was different. It was different than, than the UFC. There was more of a, a spectacle. There was more of that professional wrestling feel. This is a big thing. I knew it was important in Japan, the way that they presented the fighters and the backgrounds. And Pride was just different. It was a, it was like watching something out of the wild, wild west at times. And the different things they did, the open weight tournaments, guys fighting across weight classes, uh, the stomps were different. The, the rivalries, they did so much over there that I've, I, there was a point in time where I thought they were going to be the number, they were the number one, I think, for a point, but where it, it was literally like, oh man, they could beat out the UFC. And then we obviously know what happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess that's the, the uh, curse of death when you start getting involved with the uh, Yakuza. So, uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Pride, Pride had so much more pageantry and it, it was because. I mean, there was obviously the the, the competition, which was the same uh, as you would get in the UFC, but it, it really did, in a very cool way, incorporate both Japanese culture as well as uh, cultures from the Far East, which I thought was was really interesting. And you had the Bushido series; they they really did a lot of innovative things. And yeah, so you you know you you had your divisions and your championships, but. You know, if there was a fight to be made, they made it. I mean, you go back to the early days, you had some really interesting uh, disparity. I mean, you had Manny Yarborough at like 750 pounds against Daisuke. Um, why am I forgetting? Daisuke uh, Matsuzaka? No, that's a pitcher, I think. I forgot his last name. Um, name. But yeah, no. So, but I mean, you had you you had what they would refer to as freak show matches. There was open weight competitions. Guys would go up and down. You know, later on, we find out. I mean, there was the famous uh, interview that Joe Rogan did with Ensign Inouye, who was a Pride fighter, um, where it, you know he pointed out that in the contract they specifically stated we do not test for steroids. So, you know, I think that was also one of the reasons that a lot of the pride fighters did not enjoy the success that a lot of us thought um, they would once they got to the UFC, but it was so much fun. It, the only tough thing is, you know, we would always have to watch it on delay and when you would get the pay-per-views. The event already occurred. Now Twitter wasn't what it was. And, and, you know, obviously there was internet, but it wasn't quite the same. So you didn't have the same opportunity for spoilers. Uh, it was just so much fun though. Um, you know, and you had you had great uh, announcers. You, you had Boss Rudin, Mauro Anallo, just a lot of great Stephen Quadros. It, it was just a lot of interesting um, personalities. And even, you know, the two events they had in the U.S. towards the end were great. Uh, you know, I, I actually uh, would put one of them as one of the greatest events of all time. Uh, so Pride was just so much fun. Pride never dies. Uh I think that's one, you know, one of the mottos, and it was fun. Uh, and yeah, I think they should. I definitely think they should bring back Nobuhiko Takata in the traditional Japanese garb, banging the gong. 
I, I agree with you. Daiju Takase was the fighter, uh, the yeah. smallest fighter that Manny Arbor ever fought. The Bushido series, I really enjoyed that when when that debuted. That was I remember they did that. That's the one we were discussing. They did the Gracies versus Japan and all that, all that stuff. Yeah, it was a little bit different as far as rounds go. It was quicker, uh, a little bit yeah. more fast paced. I would love to see a scenario where UFC brings it back in some form. It'll never happen, but and I, I ask you this: we'll, we'll, we'll close it down, but. Can anything ever really replace Pride? Heroes tried, probably the closest. I don't know if you, Heroes and Dream are probably the closest, but is there anything that's ever going to be to that level? Or was it just great for its time and it's done and over with? I think the the other problem is, at, at the time, you had viable Japanese fighters. If you look at it now, there's not as many good Japanese fighters. Uh, I think that the game has evolved uh, and a lot of other areas of the world have, have, um, you know, adapted and and evolved the techniques. So unless there, I I think in the end, there was always a a backbone of having legitimate MMA, excuse me, legitimate Japanese stars. You know, I, I credit Kazushi Sakuraba, one of your favorite fighters of all time. If you didn't have him defeating Hoist Gracie, I don't think it would have had the same meaning. So I think because of that, no. And you're never going to have something like Pride in America. UFC is never going to replicate those things because of uh, the commissions and things of that nature. They can't go as willy-nilly and just start doing open weight competitions and, and the freak show fights because they would never get um, they would never get licensing and, and pass with it would never pass the commission standards in each state. Is there anybody that we haven't mentioned, any promotions that we haven't mentioned? Uh, I forgot Rumble on the Rock. Well, then, so I guess another version of Hawaiian MMA, there was Icon Sport, which was another oh, big right, one. Yeah. Uh, I think King of the Cage actually still exists. I believe it does in some form or some fashion. I don't know if it's the same King of the Cage or if it's just King yeah. of the Cage by name, but I, it is still out there. You know, I was yeah. thinking Axe fights because there was one point where they were promoting yeah. their own stuff but they yeah. still have fights on there so i don't know that that count that counts as much either uh, i i there's the wfa oh that's right yeah yeah that was around the, for a little bit yeah that was around and the ufc bought that and that's how they got rampage jackson under contract that was the um, la show right in the la yes. memorial in the, the memorial coliseum the uh, sports arena that had nobody there yeah, when Boss came out of retirement and fought Ruben Warpath Valerial. And just, was that the one where he kicked the ever-living shit out of his legs? Yes, yes. Uh, and then the other one I thought of, which was an enjoyable promotion, was Cage Rage, which was in the UK. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Um, and then you know, there was a few other, well, there was like Hook and Shoot was one of the old old ones. I don't know if it still exists in so I like someone else may have bought it out and now it's a very small regional promotion. That's right. why I, I didn't Pancras, include some of those. Pancreas still exists in some. Yeah. Pancreas still exists. Exactly. So they, they all, all these things have evolved into different things, but it, it, I yeah. enjoyed it. We're going to have to get back into some of the fights, uh, maybe our favorite fights from, from these organizations uh, as we move on down the line. 
Yeah. Look on our look on our social media for the August schedule. We're going to have that out. Follow us on social media at in the fight show. Podomatic in the fight show .com. in the fight.net. Our web home will take you uh, everywhere we just said. So check us out there. Until next week, stay safe.